Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Friends, welcome to today's episode of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. I am excited to be on today with a guy that I think it would be fair to call a friend. I feel like we've had enough dialogue, texting, the list goes on and on, to have Dan Ryland with us. He's one of the pastors at 12 Stone Church. He's an author. I think family guy, there's many titles that go. I think one of the things... He's, he's known by, and, and maybe how I first got acquainted to him is he worked for a number of years with John Maxwell and his close friends with him and probably has some great John Maxwell stories. Maybe I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw one in about telling us something nobody else knows about John Maxwell. But Dan, it's a pleasure to have you on. I, I appreciate your many years and much writing that's invested in me. And I, I feel like I'm hopefully somewhat of a, a 1 Corinthians 11, one disciple of yours. Jeff, I'm honored to be here. You are a friend. I enjoyed talking with you. You're a great thinker. So it's a delight. I'm ready to jump in and see where we go. I know it's going to be fun. It's going to be a roller coaster of sorts. I'm sure of that. So um, Dan, tell us, just for people who aren't familiar with you, give us a three-minute version of your testimony of coming to Jesus, meeting Jesus, and then kind of where you've gone from there professionally and with the Lord. Well, uh, it's always a great story to tell. I think it's a great story to tell because it gives honor to Jesus and so I was a senior in high school, graduating senior in high school, and I was dating this cute girl, <laughs> and she would have nothing to do with me unless I would go to church stuff, which irritated me to no end. But I thought, she's worth it, so all right. And one of the things that she sort of drugged me to was the Easter Sunday service in my senior year. And it was outside in a, in a high school football stadium, and way back then, and so the Platform was down on the on the field, the playing field, and we sat in the bleachers. And I sat there. It was friendly. It's a big church, you know, at least on Easter. And um, <laughs> and I, I remember, you know, the the message was the sermon was good, the choir was good, the people were friendly, but none of that really got to me. It was this old fashioned traditional backstop uh, behind, you know, that literally like an old fashioned Easter postcard with blue sky and lilies and clouds. And it said, he is risen. And I don't know what happened. Of course, you and I know now, but then, but I was just captivated and transfixed by three words. Mm. And by midway through the service, uh, midway to three quarters, something like that, there was this voice, again, you and I know what it was. I had no idea, but there was a whispering and the whisper kept saying two words. It's true. Mm. It's true. And I just, I kept looking at those three words and the Holy Spirit kept saying, it's true. And I was just, it was powerful. But I was a chicken. When they gave the altar call, I, I went, I said, I'm not doing that. I'm not going for it. I'm not going down. I don't even know what you're talking about. But I couldn't escape it. So the next day in the parking lot, I asked my, the girl I was dating, <laughs> I told her what happened. I said, do I have to wait till next Easter to get saved? And she laughed, prayed for me, and it was a rocket ship ride into leadership almost immediately. 
I feel like you've told me that before, but it, it's hit me in a new way. It's true. It's true. It's true. Coming from the Holy Spirit there. What does that mean to you now in 2021? Speak to it's true 2021. Yeah. You know what? I just recently had that asked of me and I'll tell you what came out spontaneously in the moment was it's still true. It's, it's just, it's still true. Uh, I believe it more deeper. It's still true through ups and downs and all kinds of challenges. Uh, he is risen. It's, it's a powerful truth and a powerful fact. And it's brought me, I consider myself like a lot of people, you know, uh, broken, but blessed. And it's still true, man. It's true. And it's more, it's more powerful today, I think, than it was decades ago mm. for me personally, you know, because I know the depth of it now. Mm. So, you know, it's funny, you know, a lens I've been going through a lot lately. I heard this a while back and I, and I think it fits well. It's kind of a play on Philippians 4, 8, but it's looking at anything, whatever that may be. It may be a phrase. It may be a relationship. It may be a crisis. It may be a piece of art, but it's asking these three things. What's beautiful? what's true, what's redemptive. And I've got a new appreciation recently for the word beauty. Truth to me is everything. I mean, you know, I always say if I could live by one verse, it'd probably be John 1 14 about Jesus coming full of grace and full of truth. And then what's redemptive. Cause that just adds a whole nother layer to anything is, is what's redemptive. And you know, all three of those are going to point to the gospel. So. Yep. Absolutely. Talk about your roles over the years of leadership. I mean, you've obviously done a number of things. I mean, you're the type of guy that, any business organization I, I know of on any level, you're the type of guy where they would look at and say, I don't care what position we have, we're creating one. We need this guy, <laughs> you know, from, from businessy stuff to Maxwell churches. You know, I first, I first heard your name and it took me years later to remember it was you had that book uh, called shoulder to shoulder that was used back in the oh, day yeah. tied to promise keepers. You speak to all the teams, yeah. everything, leadership and all those uh, facets. Yeah, more than that of it is. And of course, we can expand and go anywhere you want. But my calling, once I figured it out, I took a little while, but we can get there later if you want to, is very simple. It's is to build leaders, to build the church, to lift up the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's been, that is my, the, the short three words God gave me shortly after I came to Christ was, was build the church. And that has been my calling for 40 years now. It's not changed. Now, I know I don't build the church, but you know what I mean. You got God wants to work through me to build the church. Uh, so I'm, I build leaders to build the church to lift up the name of Jesus. And so for me, the focus of my calling is all about the gospel. It's not for another book. It's not for anything. It's all about the gospel, but to build leaders, to build the church, to lift up the name of Jesus. But my focus in that context is building leaders always has been. Maybe that's from Maxwell, I don't know, but that's that's kind of my lane that I run in. And whether it's in groups, you know, developing small groups of leaders or one-on-one, of course, in the church, that translates to building staff teams, staff culture, ministry teams, that kind of a thing. And But that's been, that's the lane I've run in for literally 40 years now. When I think about you and your role at 12 Stone, I'm not there. I don't go to church there. I've obviously had the blessing of getting a dialogue some with Leslie who works with you, but I can't imagine you're not as valuable and important as anybody in that church. I mean, I know you have a lot of respect for your senior pastor, Kevin Myers, but nonetheless, to do all the different things, building structures, internal teams, developing that leadership, that has to be just so significant. So you were telling me before we got on here, your, your latest book looks like it'll be coming out in February, give or take. 
speak to that book and why that's so important and the significance of that book in this season of life. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Um, it's, it's the first devotional I've ever written and maybe the last, it was really quite tough. It's a different, <laughs> it's a different approach to there's 40 devotions. It felt like I was writing 40 books, you know, just short ones, but the passion behind it, the title is uh, leadership alone isn't enough. And you know, I'm a leadership guy. So leadership alone isn't enough. 40 devotions to strengthen your soul. I think the connectivity between the direct relationship and connectivity between your walk with God and your influence as a leader is essential. If you, if you get disconnected in even briefly, uh, I don't mean to have somebody panicked about it. That connection, that prayer base, the Holy Spirit's power, the wisdom. Um, one of my favorite questions is what's the last thing God has said to you? Mm. I, I think and we all have dry spells. I get it. We all get to have a dry spell, but if a leader stops hearing from God, if a leader stops chasing God, I think we're we're in trouble. And I don't think that's something that leaders do intentionally. I just think with the pace and the lack of margin and and the pressures and, and pandemics and life itself, I think there's just a lot that can wear a leader out. And so my passion is to try to, in this particular book, is to feed the soul of a leader so they can keep going. Wow. That's, I mean, that's so good. That's so needed. I'm trying to quote you on that. That when you say again, you said a question you like to ask people often is what is the last thing God said to you? Speak, elaborate on that. Cause I think, you know, me leading about or being involved in about two dozen small groups of ours called locker rooms. And well, we have that many, I'm in about eight to nine of them. Talk about the importance of that as you dialogue with people, them chewing on that. Yeah. I think, and I, I certainly include myself in this, but when I pray, I love to pray. As the older I get, the, the more I realize it's power. Um, when I pray, I, t- <laughs> I typically talk too much. I mean, I do all the talking. And that's good. That's okay. I'm not criticizing myself or anyone else. God invites us to, to a conversation. He invites us into communion. But if if when I pray or when you pray, if we do all the talking and we don't do any listening, that's obviously we're missing out on an actual conversation. And so uh, whether it's just a moment, and again, it's like tithing and and prayer, you know, even a small percentage of listening is a powerful thing because surely the creator of the universe has something of value to say. Well, we can't hear it if we're not quiet. And silence for us, particularly us guys, silence is unnerving. We got to do something. We got to read. We got to make something happen. And so practicing silence, even if it's a little bit, to practice hearing God's voice is essential. Well, and I think to me, the great thing about what you're saying with that is it just stirs up something in people like, oh, wow, I'm not attentive enough. I'm not hearing from the Lord or being encouraged like I have. And oh, yeah, here's the most recent thing he said to me. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the there's the issue of obedience. When he says it, do you do it? Yeah. Because I think those, I think when we when we hear things that we know are true and we don't do them, our heart starts to get dull. You know, God and I have been in an argument. I actually have a not an argument. We've I've been wrestling with something. It's really strange, but I'm I'm happy to be transparent. I think I even wrote. I might have even said this in my in one of the devotions. But you know, I have as a Christian leader, I have fasted all these decades. You know, here and there, sometimes a lot, sometimes a little, sometimes regular. You know. And I don't know, the last year and a half, I, I wrestle with fasting and God and I keep talking about it and I keep working on it and I'll make these, 
I'll fast a meal, I'll fast a half a day, I'll fa-, you know, but there, and then I don't want to have this weird works thing of, well, it wasn't enough of a fast, because that's stupid. But what's important is, when God says something, and he's really clear, are you doing it? Or are you trying to do it? Are you making, are you making movement into it? I think that's, that's the biggest part, you know? Yeah, you're big on practical application. You know, I think I've told you before, one of my favorite, you know, either Sunday night or Monday morning, one of the first things I'm going to do, and I tend to cheat and look on Sunday because I know it sometimes releases on Sunday, but is your latest blog. And you yeah. are very practical. I think you do a great job of writing in such a way that it really um, stirs me to want to create some thought space, some control room time, whatever we want to call it to really reflect on you know, how I'm doing as a leader and what that plays out, obviously, in many ways beyond just being a leader, but give us a great definition of leadership. I mean, I know on the simplest terms, we'll hear the word influence. Okay. That that's on the simplest terms. We're going to hear influence The The definition I love, and I, I think it was Todd Atkins or I forget who gets credit for it, but it's bearing fruit on other people's trees. Talk about a great definition and then play that out a little bit in a very fruitful, maximized kind of way. Oh, well, thank you. I love that question, Jeff, because, you know, from my mentors, I grew up on leadership as influence. And and so that's my working definition. But I'm going to go where you want to go with this. What I've added to that is to make it a little fuller in my context is next to the power of God, everything rises and falls on leadership. So that's how that's how I say it. But here, here's my real practical everyday way that I, I say it when I'm around leaders and when we're talking about this. First of all, nothing moves forward without leadership. We have to understand why is it important? Why does it matter? What is, but you know, the great, why is the great need for leadership? Well, nothing goes, nothing moves forward. Life, church, everything wants to either get stuck or go backwards. It pulls it, it pulls it back. Leadership pushes it forward. That's why, right? The reason it's so difficult sometimes is because leadership causes change, change causes motion, motion causes friction, and people don't like it. So it has to be good leaders doing good things, whether it's leading your family or leading at work or leading in government, whatever it is. So change is progress at the core. So I think, here's what I think. Essentially, leaders, it's it's a three-point thing. We make progress, we solve problems, we help people. That's how I say it. We make problems. We, we make problems. Yeah, we do that too. We do that too. <laughs> we, we people do that progress, for us. We solve problems. We help people. And that's a quick, quick way to get a handle on it mm. and a practical language. Yeah. Sure. Let, let's ask this right now. So fill in a blank on these two questions. First one is the state of church leadership is currently Second one be, would be the state of individual leaders is blank. I think the state of church leadership is exhausted. I think that's the overall state. And I get to talk to a lot of leaders. The essence of that, Jeff, is twice the amount of work with half the results. That's mm-hmm. the essence of it. I'm not saying the business world isn't in the same place, but the church is for sure. And the state of individual leaders really varies. There are some that are very hopeful, some that are just uncertain, and some there. I think there's three groups. Some they're very hopeful. We're going for. I'm a, I'm a very hopeful leader, not naive, but hopeful. I think there are some that are just uncertain, and then there's a third group, a pretty good group. They're concerned. They're just concerned. 
it feels like, you know, they're just over their head and drowning. And um, so I think the individuals are in one of those three spots. Wow. Do you think we've seen, so I'm, I'm in, in Springfield, so I'm about an hour from where this taping is. And I was thinking, I was telling my wife yesterday, I said, it's really interesting, whether it's transition, uh, promotion, whatever, three of our largest churches are looking for youth pastors right now. Do you think we've seen what we thought we would see, say, a year ago, as far as people either leaving pastoral leadership altogether, being done, being whatever? I mean, where do you think we are as far as what we thought the wave would be of people leaving and new people either being hired? Or what's really difficult is, and I think you could speak to this a whole lot better than I could, I think you're going to end up having a lot of positions just go unfulfilled because people need someone full-time. They're only going to be able to offer part-time or it's a combination of a bunch of random jobs. Do you think we've seen the effects as hard as we thought we would? Or what do you think with that? I think it's real. I don't know that I've categorized it with real data, but anecdotal, I certainly get to talk to the leaders out there a lot about it. And uh, it is real. It's more so the senior pastors who have been senior pastoring for a long time. That's the great resignation it's been called. Mm -hmm. Uh, There, you know, some of the boomers who have been doing it for a long, long time, there is a a bit of an alarming rate, again, anecdotally, not data-based, that are stepping out. And that stepping out, I think, is what gives movement, a lot of movement to younger staff. You know, know, every time a senior leader leaves who's been there for a long time, sort of upsets the apple cart, change is coming. So sometimes a young student pastor or somebody else might go, you know what, love the church, love Jesus, but I don't want to stay here now, so I'm going to go somewhere else. And, And that's what's causing the trickle-down effect, I think. In terms of hiring, it's very difficult to hire because, you know, you, you want to hire the ones who, leaders who are experienced and doing well. And so you typically go to the places where they're experienced and doing well, and they love their church. So want those, they don't want to leave. So the fishing pool, so to speak, of new hires is much smaller. It's much smaller. And then there's one other part. One other part is because the vast majority of churches are still barely 50, 60, 65% back, they don't need as many staff. Sure. And so you have that in the mix as well. So if you look at things now compared to say a year ago, knowing you're a man of hope and great hope at that, where do you think now we have greater opportunity or possibility that, that maybe a year ago we didn't even realize we would have at this point? I think our reach, no question, our reach, our gospel reach is so much broader than ever before because everyone now has accepted streaming, Zooming, online, you know, the all online thing. Churches who weren't doing it started. Churches who weren't good at it got better. And churches who were good at it got great. Mm. And so we're reaching hundreds and hundreds of thousands of more people across the country, maybe millions, I don't know, probably millions at that level, people who are hearing the gospel. And second, I think the, while there's a contradictory sound to this where a lot of Christians who used to attend don't attend, that's the contradiction, but there's so many hungry people who don't know Jesus who are, the visitor rate is up. So the attendance of, pre, of people who have attended for years is down, but the visitor rate is up. And so the great hope, the great opportunity is people who didn't go to church. And then I think people are hungry. I think today, yes. one of the questions I'm hearing most of, in all walks of life is, is this, I don't know who to believe or what to believe. 
They're just hungry for truth. They're confused. I don't know who to believe or what to believe. And we get to give them an answer. And Jeff, not a packaged, canned, Jesus is the answer, but he is. <laughs> mm. So we just have to do it in a way that we're relevant to their needs, relevant to their anxieties, relevant to their fears, relevant to what they're you know dealing with. And they're hungry for it. This is a phenomenal opportunity. And the truth of the matter is throughout all history, the church has been stronger under persecution, which we Amen. clearly are. So what do you say to, you, you, you were very positive in what you said right there about streaming. What do you say to churches and pastors? Because I would think most churches, though, at some point have become very weary. They're not quite seeing maybe eyeballs like they thought, or they've clearly come down. What do you say the balance between giving that too much attention at the expense of who's there versus either wanting to cut the cord or not do it at all? I mean, I think to me right now, think of the pastors I'm friends with, thinking of my own church. I think that is a very difficult tension because I remember like Kerry Newhoff and some people saying in the future, 50% of your time and resources are going to go to online. I don't know if that's true or not, but I know there's got to be some significant tension there between, okay, numbers are dropping. How much do you keep giving it time and attention and energy on the same level? Where do you maybe move some of that versus if you try to cut the cord, you've totally killed something that was going to be an opportunity. So what do you yeah. think, what do you think about where we are with that? And how would you encourage pastors and churches with streaming right now? Yeah. Uh, first of all, it's a brilliant question. Secondly, nobody has the answer. That is the topic. Sure. That is the topic. And a lot of a lot of leaders, we have this conversation too, Jeff. You know, did we shoot ourselves in the foot because we came, became so good with online? You know, and yet there is no option. Online is the new lobby. Online, like, like you don't go to a car lot to buy a car. You're online. You've picked it out online. It is the new lobby. It is the new front door. Now, the weakness in online that we all acknowledge as well as engagement. So the thing we're all working on is how do we engage online leaders? So I would say to encourage listeners, because I 100% still believe completely in physical attendance, uh, whether it's, you know, house churches coming out of your church or in, in your campus, because we don't want to promote, I'm going to just say it, spiritual laziness, spiritual convenience. Um, and I don't mean that in a weird, ascetic way. You have to do the hard thing. I mean it in a way that we just know this. It's different when the body of Christ is gathered together. It just is. If you listen to your podcast, you know, if you listen to your, your Apple Play, whatever, of your favorite music and compare that to a concert, well, you know it's not the same. Mm -hmm. if, if you're visiting... A sick grandma who, if you're if you're doing a FaceTime with a sick grandma in Texas, uh, who's elderly, it's not the same as if you had if you got to fly there and go see her. You, sure. you know, it's not the same. So we know that, and biblically, it's not the same. So the, I think the idea is this: get really good at online. It is the new front door, and then get really good to use it as a transition to get them to gather in the body of Christ. Sure. Because, you know, originally, most of us use online really for two things, people who were sick and couldn't come, or business travelers who couldn't be there that Sunday. That was really the point. But now Christians have become, well, I don't need to go anywhere. I'll just do it here. But we're, we have hundreds of conversations on this, and, and they're being really honest with us, saying, yeah, well, you know, you're right. It's not really the same. The truth of the matter is while I'm watching on my laptop, I'm pouring syrup on my kids' pancakes, and I'm certainly not singing or worshiping. And 100%. so there is power in the gathering 
of Christians in a place together. And so I'm very much part of that. So let me summarize that long tirade and say, I don't think you can stop online. I think that if you if you maybe pick, I might pick 51% of, uh, at, the yard, at the 50 yard line. I'd probably pick 51% in person, not because of any other reason that there's a power that is in the gathering and a power in the participation. There's a power in what you hear. You're not answering the doorbell or putting syrup on your kids' pancakes. And so as you get engaged by being present, just keep working on the engagement to invite them to join you in the in the larger gathering. Yeah. And, that, and that's a tricky part to figure out. I, I know we're really trying to figure it out. I know people do like, I've seen like Southeast and Louisville. I'm sure you guys keep an eye on them because they're another large church and say, you know, they kind of have this like NFL pregame show looking thing going on and some others that do things like that. And I think to try to land on the sweet spot, what's doable, what keeps your identity, what it is, is very difficult. And I, I very difficult. I'm glad I'm not it, making it those decisions. Yeah. It really is a complex thing because because the way to actually do it to make the answer easier is again twice as much work. Because sure. the, the way to actually nail where you like every church should make their own decision. The way to nail it is if you actually have two products, if you have two broadcasts, if you have one that speaks oh, yeah. to the streaming line and one who speaks to the live line. Now, if you do that, which that's exhausting, and, and that that would take 50% of everything, you know, now you can choose which one's going to go higher and which one's going to go lower in your quality presentation. Sure. So I'm in Ohio, and in Ohio, many people, not really me, but many people love the Ohio State Buckeyes. So my favorite <laughs> John Maxwell story that I have heard him tell was he's friends with Jim Trussell, who's a longtime Buckeyes coach, who's now the president of Youngstown State University. And he had often gone, I think annually, went to speak to the Ohio State football team before game or whatever, based on his relationship with Jim Trussell. So one year, the University of Michigan, as he tells a story, reached out to Maxwell and said, hey, we would like you to come speak to our football team, kind of like what you've done with Ohio State. And he goes, no, I can't do that. And they're like, no, 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 we're not asking. I think this was Lloyd Carr was their coach. He said, no, we're not asking you to do it when you play Ohio State. We just want you to come do it sometime. And he's like, no, you don't, you don't understand. I'm an Ohio State fan. I'm friends with, like, he's not doing it. Now, he might have ad-libbed and took some liberties to that story. I don't know. But that is a great John Maxwell story to me that I heard in person one time when he was in Columbus. You know John Maxwell. I know of John Maxwell. Dan, you've got to have a long list of great John Maxwell stories. Pretend he's never going to hear this. You can go anywhere you want to go. Give me your best John Maxwell story. Oh, my. Well, that's, you're asking for 40 years of stories. Some are hysterical. Some we don't want on tape. <laughs> some, But you know what? I have a lot of stories. Mentoring stories, personal. John's stories, personal. But your story sort of link me to one that it's a heart story that that I, I don't maybe I'll tell two really quick then they're both heart stories because we always typically tell the funny stories you know but um, and traveling with him is always hysterical <laughs> he's just he's he's an incredible friend most one of my generous people I've ever met in my life but I remember I think I can tell this story I remember when promise keepers was it promise keepers or 
the White House. I think it might have been either the Promise Keepers or White House. That's actually good that I don't remember because I'm not telling it too accurately. But it was a major, major deal. It was either the Million Man March or actually the White House wanted him to come and speak. And it was something, it was a, a time in his son's life when he felt he needed to be with his son, even on that particular day. And he said, you know, thank you, thank you. I would love to do it, but I'm going to stay with my son today mm. or that day. And that's who John is. I mean, he's, when my mom died in 1997 of a sudden stroke, second story, he was off doing a conference as he typically was and speaking to a couple of thousand leaders. When he heard that my mom died, he left the conference, got on a plane. He was in my living room. Boy, gets to me still today. He was in my living room the next day, sitting with me, talking with me, crying with me, praying with me. That's John Maxwell. Wow. Well, and a guy whose ministry uses the tagline, 2 a.m. friend got one. I'm glad you told that story because that's that's what it's all about for us uh, and then some. So let's go to what I like to call the rapid five, and they're just kind of quick-hitting, simple, to-the-point kind of five questions. And coming from you, some of these will be really good. Dan, what is your favorite childhood snack or cereal? <laughs> well, we're going to pass over all the meat and go to the fun, right? That's I right. Love it. Uh, you know what this is? This goes way. I don't know if they exist anymore, but it was Cocoa Krispies as a kid. Oh yeah, no, they Here, get, does it exist? They got so many generic brands of that, and I think there's the or, uh, Cascadian or, Organic Farm one, and oh, they very much still exist. So see, I'm okay, cool. I'm here to serve you today. I'm letting you know they're still out there, and go get you some. Maybe <laughs> well, I try to. <laughs> I try to eat a little different than that these days, but thank you. Well, yeah. I know you do. We've talked about that before, but I think they even have some somewhat healthy versions. I mean, I don't know how healthy that can be, but um, there's still some to be had out there for you. So, coming from you as a writer and reader, I'm curious, what's your favorite book you most like to gift to other people? Yeah, no question. I give John Maxwell's Five Levels of Leadership away. That's such a phenomenal foundation to leadership, particularly if somebody has, they aren't, haven't, even if they have delved into leadership a lot or are new to leadership, that's just a foundational piece, the five levels of leadership by Maxwell, John Maxwell, that's, I love to put it in leaders' hands because I know what it does. I know how it helps them. And what Dan Ryland book do you give them? Oh my. Um, I think the first thing I do is send them to my, my blog post because there's, Tens of thousands of words mm -hmm. and the, the articles. There's probably we we call off the back years. We I don't I don't leave them all there. People get mad at me because I I pull stuff, but I think all leaders we ought to get better. We ought to think better. We ought to write better. So I only leave about five years in there, and I've been doing this since nineteen since before blog post was blogging. Was, this will crack you up. I started doing that. Started writing leadership stuff every week, every week, every month, every, whatever it is, in 1996. And back then, it was a physical paper. Remember that? Oh, wow. <laughs> a newsletter oh. mailed out to a gazillion people. And uh, so, because that's that's morphed over the years to now, you know what a blog is. Mm -hmm. And I, I leave about five years worth of in there. So I say go there. There's a lot there. But right now, I'm pointing people to probably the last book, mm -hmm. Confident Leader. Great one. came out with Thomas Nelson. 
I think that this is, and it's not like a bravado pump you up book. It, it, it's really a go deep, go inside. And then it gets very practical, you know, me at the end, mm -hmm. but dealing with confidence inside of a leader. So that's the one I, for me, that I'll sure. tell people about. Sure. A very good one. Okay. So this next question, I know you have to be careful here. You're, you're going to tend to be a little bit biased where you've been living for quite a while, but let's say, <laughs> let's, let's put kids from church youth group or whatever. You got kids, you got whatever you're going on vacation, you and your wife are doing your thing. Let's, you got a group of, we threw 10 kids from 12 stone church in a van with you and you're, you're planning on stopping on this road trip. Uh, let's say noon and one of the kids has to go to the bathroom at like 1150 and you're like, well, we're already stopped. Let's just go ahead and hit whatever's here. And you see on the exit sign, these three places, McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, in and out Burger. Where would you All take right. Where would you go? I got quick answer for you, but you, you tricked me on the question. You're I in Georgia was, well, now. We I have to acknowledge. What, what I do with the, with the group. Both. Both. The group, no question about it, in and out. That's what I would like best. Uh, my that would be we grew up, you know, Southern California. Be in and out for sure. But um, these days, for me, if it was me and me and my wife, we would go to Chick Fil A. Yeah, hey, you're, you're. I knew you were in a tough spot there because the California Georgia thing. I mean, you know, it's kind of like saying you know you cheer for USC or Georgia. You you better say Georgia when you're living where you're living. But uh, I Absolutely. do. I do think with these questions, there's really no right answer. And I'm a big fan of Chick Fil A. I got friends who have ran Chick Fil A's or whatever. But in and out. I mean, like where I live, there's none. So if I'm going to California, Arizona, wherever, I'm finding some In and Out Burger. Absolutely. My kids, my family, I mean, my friends that, that now here, you're right. Chick-fil-A is king. And so that's what, that's what they bring in the church here, but yeah. it's good stuff. Eat, eat what you like, eat what you want. Well, and, and that, that, that one salad, I forgot the name of this with the avocado ranch dressing, you know, as much as they're known for their chicken sandwiches, I'll take that chicken salad every day of the week. So Dan, what movie, if you were to stumble across it on your TV screen, whether it's streaming or whether it's flipping channels in the old days, what movie when you would stumble upon it, you're watching it every time. Oh, there's a couple. The one that I, it's a it's interesting though, but it's Dead Poet Society. Mm. That that one, just that the mentoring, you know, the the whole that's just a that's just a classic movie that grabs my attention. Of of you have to watch the movie to see what's going on, but that the pouring in, the giving out, the raising up young leaders, you know. Probably something a little bit more mainstream. That's not a very mainstream movie. Would be Gladiator. Mm. We use that in Joshua's Men a lot. Sure, um, that sucks me in every time. Wow. I, I thought of something else though. My favorite that sucks me in every time. That's the dumbest movie in the world, but it's a Christmas movie. And if it comes on, I can't help myself. Is Elf? <laughs> there was no question what you were going to say there. I knew you were going to Elf. And you were like, you okay? I can picture you sticking your tongue on a pole, right? Like you got. I mean, going round the, the around lines, a store. I know the lines. I mean, the, the one of my favorite lines in that movie is "Be careful about the yellow ones; they don't stop." I mean, <laughs> <laughs> That's just, right. It's a great movie. Will Ferrell. I mean, he he had no career other than that. He's got quite a career. So, uh, now my, my favorite, most important question. And there is no right answer, but who was your first celebrity crush? I don't. I don't even get that question. Teenage I mean, Dan Ryland, who was the girl that, or who's the movie star, the actress, the the athlete, the the whoever that you were like, oh wow, she's you know that you might have had a poster on your wall or 
whatever, something like that. Who was the first celebrity, teenage, young Dan Ryland, college Dan Ryland, that you're like, oh, she's, you know, Kate Jackson, I, Farrah Fawcett, you know, someone. Yeah, no, no. Well, that that's that wasn't it at all. It was it to see because uh, there was no posters on the wall and that kind of a thing. I, I had a habit of dating real live girls, not posters <laughs> on the wall. I mean, so I don't know that I had a crush on who might it have been. Um, okay, I'll think of one just to play play here. Uh, I always thought Meg Ryan okay. was just cute and talented and fun. And, yeah. and, and uh, I don't know that I had a crush, but I always thought, She's she'd be fun. She looks like a fun person. You know what's funny about that? The answer to the question I asked you earlier about the movie would be when Harry met Sally for me. I, when Harry met Sally, Billy Crystal's great. That movie would pull me in every time. So there you go. You know, if we, were, if we were to title this podcast based on something you said, I would use the quote: "I dated real live people or girls or however you said that." That would be the that would be the subject of this podcast. They'd be like, "Wow, what is I that? hope not." What did he mean by that? What is, what is? Hopefully, he dated real live people. So, yeah. uh, well, now that's a lot of fun stuff. We're going to move on to some other stuff. So, talk about. I think as a leader and a husband, because you write so well as a as a leader in a church, writing all the things you do, how we do our time, how we do our scheduling, how we look at daily, weekly, monthly, annual rhythms. You lead and do that well. You typically every year, especially towards the end of the year, maybe give some some questions, a blog post, something that's somewhat reflective and looking back and looking forward type of thing. How do you do that? Talk, you know, give some encouragement to people who would listen to this and look at their scheduling, how they lay out time, money, who they're giving their time to. How, how do you kind of discern that in a couple minutes of a response there? Yeah, we get to deal with this a lot, especially when we're, if if I can just jump ahead a little bit to the issue of margin, because that really is the thing. Once you, once you're in this for a while, that is really what you're looking for. Uh, when, when it comes to calendar and and scheduling and, and all that kind of stuff and the rhythms and when you get stuff done and what does it look like, the picture of mind isn't as important as how you get there. And so let let me start with this: that everything that we always deal with, I don't have enough time. I, I hear that all the time. You know, I don't have enough time. And then when you talk about it for more than a minute, you say they realize they don't have any margin. And then if they do have margin, they don't know what to do with it. And so when people try to solve that issue, I don't have time, I don't have margin, I don't know what to do with it. People, leaders typically start with their calendar. And if you start with your calendar, Jeff, you will never solve the problem. First of all, the tension is never going to go away, but you can make it a productive tension. And if you start it with your calendar, you will never fix it. So there's really a five-step process to actually get this right. And of course, that's a whole podcast, but let's just do it real quick, okay? The, the step one is your calling and your values. You have to start with what has God called you to do and what are the values that guide your life? You've got you have to get that in your head, big picture, get it inside your marrow. Then you go to your life rhythms. This is getting a little closer now to your question of, of what is it, your what's your center? What is your daily? For me, my daily center, my daily constitution, I don't know, you pick a word, I don't know, it is prayer and exercise. That keeps that that keeps my life rhythm good and solid. When I, I start to mess that up, I mean, I'm an old hippie jogger, you know, I do a 5k a day, 3.1 a day, and my wife and I have a trainer and we do two weight workouts a week. So exercise is important. So for me, prayer and exercise keep that, that's that life rhythm. 
because we sometimes we all go out of bounds on our life rhythms. When you think about balance, what's balanced about a vacation, right? You go lay on the beach for two weeks and eat whatever you want. That's not balanced. But when you put it in a rhythm, a life rhythm, it begins to make more sense. So, and the life rhythm is based on what's that thing you have to keep coming back to to keep you centered. Okay. So, life rhythm. So, calling and values. Two, life rhythms. Three, energy management. Mm. You have to know you, uh, Jeff. We have to be self aware about who each of us is. And when you know, like, are you a night person, a morning person? When do you when do you need to write? When you need to be with people? How do you manage your energy? How do you always save some energy for the people you love most when you come home with your family? I mean, manage your energy. Then you go to priorities. People wonder why can't I? Why can't I? I can't. I try to work on my priorities and do do work on my priorities in my calendar. Well, and they go and here's what they classically will say: Well, everything is a priority. Well, of course it is. Everything's a priority because you don't know your calling, your values, your life rhythms, and your energy management. So when you work on those things, then you can begin to make tough, tough decisions. And here's where I struggle. I'll admit it. On this category number four is it's hard for me to say no. And so I can do all this work, which I do. I can get to my priorities, which I do. But if I can't say no, I'm still going to blow it up. Okay. Then, 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 Jeff, you go to time management, you go to your calendar. If that's the only way that it works, the tension still isn't going to go away. But if you'll do that work, you'll get there, you can begin to order your life in a way that really makes sense. See, two of the things you said there to me, they're very important to one, I think we're hearing more of in current culture, especially Christian culture, energy management, you also talked about self awareness. When people ask me sometimes, what is the biggest thing I've learned about men? In 14 years of leading this thing called The Gathering, I say men overall to me in many, many ways for many guys are not self-aware. Towards the end there, you really hit on one of the things I had on here I wanted to talk about a little bit was letting your yes be yes and your no be no. Speak to that a minute. And then when you're done with that, talk about the power of words, whether that's written, whether that's verbal. We know that they either speak truth and affirm and build up or they tear down. So talk about yes, be yes, no, be no, and the power of words. Yeah, you have to correct me, guide me if I'm not going what you're thinking about with let your yes, be yes. But the first thought that comes to my mind when I hear that statement is integrity. And integrity is vital. You know, lack of lack of competence can trip up a guy, but lack of character can take you out. And, and so I think my quickest thought there for you, Jeff, in a practical sense is do what you say you're going to do, even in the little things. Just do what you say you're going to do. If you say you're going to call somebody back, call them back. Yeah, if you, I'll get that for you or, or a big project. Just if, if we will do what we say we're going to do, uh, if we keep our promises, I think that's core to leadership. And here's why. We'll take it one step deeper. If you don't do what you say you're going to do, people soon won't trust you. And if they don't trust you, they're not going to follow you. They're just not. That's very true. What is left for Dan Ryland? What is still on your assignment? If God unrolls back the document and said, Dan, here's what's left on your assignment for as much as you know it, what's still left for you? Well, I actually have a pretty clear, a pretty clear site. You know, I, I said, this is my fourth quarter. It's my last run. I want to make my last run my best run. So I'm still fired up, still changing, still growing. I'm, I work very, very 
very diligently and purposefully and intentionally on growing in my 60s. So I, I have a plan. I know how I do it. But what's what's left? That's a funny question, because um, I have no intentions of ever retiring. As long as God will let me serve him, I'm going to serve him. And so the lane I, I run in is in four areas. I lead, I coach, I write, and teach. That's it. Now, it took me a long time to get there, but I run in, in that space in leadership development. And so in my work with 12 Stone, they're very generous with me. And as I raise up the new executive pastor, and maybe you have a little bit more time down the road, I will get to do a little bit more coaching outside the church. Uh, it's not outside the church, but with other churches, a little bit more consulting as I get a, a little more breathing room, you know, still still very much involved at 12 Stone, but maybe not quite as far in the weeds. So the future for me is a little more coaching, a little more consulting, a little more writing. And then, of course, I love the church. So I still get to have some parts of the church. I get to work with our residency and church planting and helping pastors. But you can see it's a little more outbound, a little bit. And so that's where I'm headed. That's where I'm at. That's what I'm doing. And I'm having the time of my life. Mm. Well, you alluded to it earlier. You referenced uh, the blogs. I'm, I'm a little disappointed. I've I've probably got some blog posts of yours I share that at some point on Facebook or social media, they won't have access to anymore. But you've written a ton of stuff. I can't recommend enough for people to go to danryland.com. That's D-A-N-R-E-I-L-A-N-D. And then you got other resources there. Dan, I just can't thank you enough. I mean, you have been great to me. I feel like we had kind of established a little bit of what relationship might look like on some level, uh, gosh, a year, year and a half ago. And you've just been accessible. You've been great. I wish everybody I knew got to spend time with you. Um, that would mean if I was in the same city as you, I wouldn't get to spend time with you. But, you know, you're just a gem. And when I think about investment in my life, um, you know, we have not physically been together, but you have definitely invested in me. And and I'm just praying for where God would have abundant fruit come from this conversation as it lands on the right ears and Holy Spirit intercepts and allows what needs to be heard and, and uh, put in action, put in action. Jeff, I appreciate that. And if you're if you're ever traveling to Atlanta, I'd love to get coffee or lunch with you. No question about it. You have I love your heart. I love your passion. I love how you think you you think very kingdom minded. So I pray God's blessing on you that He will multiply your work, and and that you always. Yeah, one of the things I I hope and pray for you is that you always get to see life change because I think that's what motivates you. You you like to see lives change. And that's a powerful thing. And if God would grant you decades more of that, how does it, it doesn't get better than that, yeah. right? It doesn't get better than that. Well, I receive that. And I feel like God gives me glimpses about every day. So, I mean, I, I receive that. I'll take that. I'm going to be praying that more for myself as well. And, and uh, Dan, you're a gem. I, I just appreciate you. Thanks for being a blessing in my life. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.